podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Much love to our church family joining us online through live streaming. Um, Jesus said, I want to remind us of a promise that Jesus said, whenever two or three are gathered together in his name, he will be in the midst of them. He didn't say how you have to gather. He just said you gather. So we're gathering. So I think that promise holds. And so we just pray that wherever you are, whether you're online, whether you're in, you're in this room, that you would experience and know God's presence with you in a special way in this time. And also, I just want to say thank you to our friend Paul Na, wherever you are, Paul, who did a ton of work at the last minute to try and make this possible. Thank you to our friend Danny McDaniel, who bailed us out and showed us how to live stream. Yeah, thank you guys. We are, we pulled this off. So, um, wow, amazing. Praise God. <laughs> Um, obviously, this is a heavy moment, right? And I wasn't trained in seminary how to lead a church through a pandemic. And so we're, we're just doing our best here. Um, but, but I realize that this is a heavy moment for us personally, uh, as a church family. This is a heavy moment for our nation. This is a heavy moment for the world. And so I want to share with you today a message that I feel that God has put on my heart for this time. But before we look at the passage we just read, I want to just just say a brief word about why we are meeting online. In case you didn't read the letter I sent out to the church uh, last week. So why are we meeting online? Well, it has nothing to do with fear. It has nothing to do with panic. It has everything to do with love. That, that, that we want to cooperate, not only with uh, the, the, the guidelines that our government has given us in the past week, but also that we want to do everything we can to guard, especially the most vulnerable among us. And, and we want to do, we want to love our neighbors and do all that we can to really help prevent the spread of this virus. And, and really the experts, what they've agreed and concluded that the best thing that we can do at this time is, is social distancing. In other words, what we're doing and today. And so really the reason we're, we're gathering online is not fear, it is love. It is not primarily to protect ourselves, it's actually primarily to protect those who are most vulnerable, the elderly, those who are immune compromised. Uh, Andy Crouch, who is the executive director of Christianity Today, he says this, one of the basic axioms of the Christian life is that the strong must consider the week. And so you can see Romans chapter 15 for more on that. But really, that, that's what this is about. This is all about love. But in the time that we have today, I want to talk to you about facing this giant that is coronavirus or COVID-19. And, and the reality is that, that we all face giants in life. If you live enough life, you will face a giant But what's unique about this moment is that this is a really big giant that we are all facing together at the same time. Now, truth be told, we've been here before uh, as human beings. So many years ago, there was the polio epidemic. Before that, there was the Spanish flu back in the 1920s. And and so we've been here before. But of course, this is the first time in a long time that we face something like this. And so the question is, how do we face this together? 
I know many people are, are concerned right now. People are concerned uh, economically. Uh, there are, of course, uh, very real health concerns in this moment. Uh, there are even concerns just psychologically and sociologically and spiritually about, about how people are going to handle the social distancing and, and all that comes with that. Uh, life has been disrupted in so many ways. And so the question is, how do we face this giant together? And that's what I want to explore today. Well, it turns out 3,000 years ago that the people of God actually faced a literal giant, a, a guy named Goliath. And, and even if you're not super familiar with the story of the Bible, you probably have some familiarity with this story. Now, Goliath was part of the Philistine army, and, and they were a hostile army, and they were coming against the people of God. And in this moment where we kind of jump into this story, that, the, that, that, that I, both armies were, were gathered on either side of a valley. They each occupied a ridge, and between them was a valley, the Valley of Elah. But the thing was, neither army could attack the other without going into this valley and therefore making themselves vulnerable and susceptible to attack. And so they're kind of like immobilized on these two ridges. And there was a tradition in ancient warfare uh, of settling these kinds of disputes, which was a way of, of trying to limit just like undue bloodshed. And it was called single combat. And the way this worked was that whoever uh, lost in single combat, their army would end up serving the army who won, of the combatant who won. And, and so the Philistines, they're gathered and they, they send out this, this, their champion, a guy named Goliath. Now, Goliath was no small dude. <laughs> Depending on, on the ancient manuscript, his height varies. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4, the New Living Translation puts it like this. It says, then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Now the Dead Sea Scrolls, as well as other ancient manuscripts, list Goliath as about six foot nine. So that's about the same height as LeBron James. Uh, but however you measure Goliath, he was a really big guy. He was a professional fighter. He was undefeated. And the way we know that is because he's still alive. So he, he's undefeated. I mean, think of like, I don't know the, I, I, I don't anything about MMA, but he's like the champ who's never been beat. Um, but beyond that, he, he, he wore thick bronze armor, we are told, and that he carried a sword and, and a huge javelin. And if you understand the historical context, like this is like high tech stuff. And so he's kind of like an ancient version of Rambo. I mean, this guy is intimidating. He is big. He is burly. And he's been taunting the people of God day after day. We read in 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, it says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who was the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And I just want to acknowledge that perhaps that's where some of you are today. Perhaps you're feeling dismayed and terrified by the headlines we're seeing of what's happening around the world. And perhaps you just watched your savings evaporate over a matter of days. Perhaps already your job, your place of business is being impacted. Perhaps you're concerned for your health or the health of a loved one. You're full of fear. You're terrified. Well, well that's where the people of God are in this story. They're immobilized. They're demoralized. And so not surprisingly, no one wants to go out from the Israelites and face 
this giant named Goliath. So Saul, what he does is Saul, who's the king, he, he keeps coming up with bigger and bigger incentives to kind of try to incentivize someone to go out for Israel and take on Goliath. And this went on for 40 days and no one was willing to go. And so he says, you know, how about this? I will give you great wealth. And people are like, no, thanks. Uh, and so he says, okay, how about this? I will give you the hand of my daughter in marriage, a princess. People are like, mm, no, thanks. And so then he, he goes one step further and he says, how about this? You can be exempt from taxes for the rest of your life. Now you would think surely someone would be like, all right, I'm in. But no, nobody went for it except David. And I just want to point out that this taunting went on for 40 days. And that is a, a, a kind of a pregnant number in scripture. And I also can't help but think how we are in the 40 days of Lent. And um, I can't help but wonder what if the church were to rise up like David in this time, to rise up in faith, to rise up in hope, to rise up in prayer. What might happen? How might the tide turn? In this story, we're told that David rose up in faith, that, that he stepped forward to confront this giant. And so here's the question I, I want to ask. What can we learn from the example of David in terms of how we can face the giant before us? Here's the first thing. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So if you were to look back to the prior chapter, you will find that uh, Samuel was a prophet, that he actually came to David's home and he anointed David with oil. He laid hands on him. He prayed for him. And we read that the Holy Spirit came upon David in power and that, he ex and, and, and that this experience changed his life. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was just given to a select few, primarily leaders. But one of the great, amazing promises and realities of the new covenant, which Jesus brought, is that everyone who puts their faith in him can experience the reality, the filling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to encourage you today that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul describes the Holy Spirit like this. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So what we need in this time is to be filled not with fear, but with the Holy Spirit. And that's really, I want to point out, that's an ongoing process this isn't just a one-shot deal. And so that this is to be something that we are each day, and I really feel that God is calling us in this time not to shrink back, but to press in to him, to seek every day, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you're not sure uh, what you think. I, I just want to invite you at the end uh, of this time to give you an opportunity to respond. If that's something you feel stirring, a desire you feel stirring in you, that Jesus would love to come into your life. He would love to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to fill you with his hope and his peace. And so that will dispel the fear in your life. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond at the end of this message. But the first thing we learn from David is that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Here's the second thing. And I've got several points today, so just... Um, so the second thing, we need to look for opportunities in the ordinary. Uh, in, in this moment, the temptation can be just to, 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 to live in fear and, and to kind of uh, close our hearts to others. But I believe God's heart for us in this time is to actually look for opportunities, but specifically in the ordinary. So you might wonder, well, what did David do after he was filled with the Holy Spirit? And this was this amazing experience. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. But what did he do after that? You might expect there'd be some big, extraordinary thing. But what did he do? Well, he, he went home and he, he cared for sheep. And after that, we, we, we read that he kind of pioneered the early version of, of Uber Eats or, or DoorDash. Uh, he, he brought uh, bread and cheese to his brothers on the front lines. And he was doing a side hustle at FedEx. So he brought messages back and forth. And, and, and so he was just in the context of his ordinary life before God. However, God made possible opportunities for the extraordinary. And, and, and he saw that. And so what I want to encourage us is that you're going about your ordinary life. And I know it's looking different right now in this season. And every day it feels like the news is changing and what we can and can't do and what's wise and not. And so I get that. But amidst that, what I'm, I'm encouraging us to do is to look for those opportunities in the ordinary. Because think about this. Little did David know that one morning he would set out carrying bread and he would come back holding the giant's head. That in the midst of the ordinary, God can meet us with opportunities for the extraordinary. And uh, as we prayed as a staff team uh, this past week about what we're facing as a nation, as a community, we had such a strong sense that God has opportunities for us in this moment. This is not the time to shrink back in fear. This is the time to look with eyes wide open. God, what are you doing? In, in our midst, in, in our lives. And that might look like reaching out to a neighbor who's elderly to make sure they're okay. It might look like calling someone who's lonely or isolated. Uh, it might look like praying for someone who God brings to mind and maybe, sh- maybe just sending them a text saying, hey, I just, I'm praying for you today. It, it might look like sharing uh, with your coworkers about how Jesus is helping you navigate these times. And by the way, I just have to share an amazing thing. I, I got an email last week from InterVarsity, an amazing college ministry. And, and it said that in their New York and New Jersey region last week, they've seen more people come to faith than in the prior year. There are opportunities in the midst of our ordinary lives right now. And so, although there's many concerning things, there are also tremendous opportunities, I believe, that God has for us. And, and so the invitation is to kind of kind of put our antennas up and just be asking, God, what are you doing? Where are those opportunities in my life? So that's the second thing. But the third thing we learn from David is to listen to the right voice. In moments like these, when you're facing a giant, when you're seeking to be faithful to God and press into him, there will be other voices that will come. And especially in our context, voices of fear, voices of discouragement. But David, it says in his context, it says he arrived at the battle and, and, and he actually overheard Goliath taunting uh, and actually cursing the armies of, of God. And he's like, who's this guy? Like, who does he think he is? He, he defied the armies of God, the living God. I'll, I'll take him on. So uh, what, what happens is his, his, his older brothers overhear him saying this, and they, they just judge him. They're like, oh, this is, you know, uh, in verse 20, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You, you came down only to watch the battle. In other words, you're just here just to kind of watch what's going on. But, so he's, he's misunderstood. But all, all that to point out that there are other voices that come against us uh, in these times. And so the most, one of the most important things that we can do is to listen to the voice of God. We need to listen 
to the right voice. And so that's what David does in, in this situation. But the fourth thing we see is that what matters in, the, in these times is availability, not ability. <laughs> what matters is availability, not ability. So King Saul, he hears word that, that David has, is offered to go face Goliath. And he's thinking, awesome, I have a warrior. I have a champion in my midst. And so he, he, David comes and meets him. And, and, and King Saul's like, wait, what? Like, you? you you're, the, you're the guy? You're the champion who's volunteering to face Goliath? And David's like, like, yeah. But you see, what matters and what God isn't looking for is ability. What he's looking for is availability. That is the most important thing. And so in this time, you might think, well, well, how could God use me? I mean, this is a crazy time. I mean, not, not a medical expert. I mean, what, how could God use me? But what matters is a, not ability, but availability. Are you willing to be used by God? And if so, he will use you. He will use you. And God had been preparing David for this day. And all the things that David may have been tempted to think previously were just a waste of time. I don't know what he thought, but sometimes in the mundane, we think, well, what's, what's, what's this all about? But see, God has been sowing things into your life that he wants to use and release even in this time. And he wants to use whatever you have. But in this, the fifth thing we learn from David is that we are to place our confidence in God, to place our, our confidence in God. So when David talks to Saul, he reflects on how God has been with him throughout the years and how when he faced a bear, how God was with him and how when he faced a lion, that God was with him. And you see those little moments of, and actually big moments of, of trusting in God actually in, enabled him to trust God in the even bigger things. So after he recounts to Saul how God has been with him, in verse 37, David says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You see the confidence he has in God. He, he was a man of faith and, and confidence in, in God. And, and I believe that what the Lord is saying to us today is take courage, take heart. I am with you. I am mighty to save. We read a moment ago from John chapter 16, where Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So we shouldn't be surprised. But here's what he says in light of that. But take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. Verse 33. So David put his trust, his confidence in God, and that led to tremendous courage. Here's the sixth thing we learn from David. That in this, we are to use what God has given us. All we have to do is just to use what God has given us. So Saul and David talk, and eventually Saul says to him, he kind of he blesses him. He says, okay, go, and the Lord be with you. And, and Saul then loans David his armor and his sword and weaponry and all this stuff. He says, you know, take my helmet, take, take my armor, take my sword. And so David puts it on, and he's a young man at this time, and, and it doesn't quite fit right. It feels awkward. He's kind of walking around. He's just so uncomfortable in this armor that he eventually has to take it off. And, and David says, look, I, I, I can't wear armor. I don't, I don't know how to use a sword. I don't have training with this. But what I do have is I have a sling and five stones. And you see, David took the stones in his hand. He used what he had, not what he didn't have. He just used what he had. And you see, God has given every person a sling and five stones. And, and for each person, that's different. But you have gifts, you have experiences, you have passions that God has given you, and that is all you need. 
to join him in his kingdom purposes as we take on the giant. As I, as I prayed this last week, I just, I just felt like I heard the Lord say, take up the stones in your pocket. It may look like nothing, but it can slay the giant. A simple stone, like what is this? But, but, but God can use that to slay the giant. And I, I don't know what that is for you. Maybe that's, that's prayer. Maybe that's an act of compassion. Maybe that's sharing your faith. But just ask the Lord whatever that is for you. And, and the way we face this giant is by each person bringing, simply bringing what God has given them and entrusting the results to him. Here's the seventh thing we learn from the life of David. And this is one of the most important points is that we are called to focus on God. That we are called to focus on God, not on the giant. Now by saying that, I don't mean, hey, let's put our heads in the sand. Let's go la, 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 and pretend we don't have a real giant in front of us. No, we do. So I'm not talking about minimization. I'm not talking about denial. I have nothing to do with that. But, I'm, but, but there's going to be a place where you set your primary focus. And the question is, where will that be? You see, David, his focus, his mental landscape, more than anything, was occupied by a vision of God. His focus, his attention was set on God. Uh, The psalm says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. From where does my help come from? My help comes from you, creator of the earth. So he had his eyes fixed on God. and, And everybody else around him, what was their focus? Their focus was on the problem. Their focus was on the giant. And therefore, that led to fear, that led to anxiety. It says they were terrified. And by the way, the best definition of anxiety I've come across, and you can put the slide up, is imagining the future without Jesus in it. That is what happens uh, when we imagine the future without Jesus in it. And that's what so many are struggling with right now. They're imagining a future without Jesus in it. And therefore, people are terrified. They're filled with fear and anxiety. Our call in this time is to set our eyes, to set our focus on Jesus Christ who has overcome. So David, he had a different focus. He wasn't focused on the size of the problem. He was focused on the size of his God. In verse 45, he says to Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, that's why David had total confidence. His focus was on God. He wasn't minimizing again Goliath, but he was magnifying God. He said, the Lord is with me. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord. He said, the Lord will give all of you into my hands. His focus was on God. And one of the most important things we can do in this time is to look up, as we talked about last week, not to look down at the size of our problems or our fear or our sense of insufficiency, and not even just to look out at at the giant we face, but rather to look up and to turn our attention to God. I came across a quote this past week by an old Scottish pastor, named Robert Murray McShane. And and he once said, for every one look at your sins, take 10 looks at Christ. And so let me just apply this for our our setting. Here's, what, what if we did this? What if for every one coronavirus news article we read, we spent 10 minutes in prayer? What if we did that? Or or what if for every uh, news show we watched, we read 10 chapters of scripture? (laughs) 
How might that change our mental landscape? How might that change our perspective, our confidence, our hope, our trust in God? The invitation is to focus on God. Again, not denying, we're not talking about minimization or denial, but we are talking about where we fix our gaze and, and, and the invitation is to set that on God. Now, one of the things that happens when we set our focus on God is that we become aware that he is with us. And uh, that's just one of the amazing promises of scripture. Jesus said, I'm with you always. And, and I know that in our culture, there's a lot of loneliness. And this is only going to get more challenging with social distancing. Uh, and that's necessary in this time. But I think part of uh, what, we're, what we're praying for in this time is that God will give us creative ways to reach out to each other in this community that might look different. It might look like FaceTime. I don't know. But my invitation is so that the church is not a building, is not a worship service. The church is the people of God, the spirit-filled people of God. So my invitation to everyone in our church family is ask God, how are you calling me to care for, to connect, to reach out to those in our community, especially those who might feel isolated, might feel alone, might be in a vulnerable position. I just want to invite you to join our pastoral team in this together. One more point before we close. So the eight things, sorry, eight, I've never done eight points before. <laughs> I felt like it was necessary. Uh, eight thing we see in the life of David is that he ran toward the giant, not away from him. Now, I realize that this point risks being misunderstood. So by, by observing this, I'm not encouraging us to do anything reckless or stupid. I'm not talking about not observing social distancing or sanitary practices. So that, that's not what we're talking about here. But, but what we see that David, he didn't cower in fear that he actually stepped forward into what God had for him. And, and in verse 48, it says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Uh, last month at our prayer meeting, one of our leaders had, I can only describe it as a vision. And what she saw, and this is a very credible person, what she saw was, uh, was kind of a, a picture of, of someone climbing a ladder into a burning building to rescue someone. And at the time, we weren't totally sure what, what the application was, but I, I really feel that that is sort of a picture or a word for us in this moment, that, that in this moment, as the church, we have a special call, and it is not to shrink back, it is not to hunker down in fear, and of course, we should be wise in everything we are doing. Again, I'm not talking about being reckless, uh, but really the time, I really, the invitation is to be salt and light, that we have a unique call and opportunity in this moment. I want to read to you another quote from Andy Crouch, and he says this. He says, we have an unprecedented chance to act redemptively in the midst of crisis and fear. That is a really powerful point, that we have an unprecedented opportunity in this moment. Friends, I really feel like, like this is our time as the church to be the church, to not run away, but actually to really ask God, God, how can we be salt and light in this moment? To be courageous, to be creative uh, in joining God and what he's doing in this time. Uh, and again, we just have a, such a sense of opportunity uh, in this. And as I was reflecting this past week, I, I was reminded of how our brothers and sisters in the early days of the church, that actually one of the key reasons that Christianity spread throughout, like just like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire is because our brothers and sisters, they actually ran toward the giant, not away. So I just, uh, I'm just going to read to you just kind of a lengthy summary of this from Andy Crouch, uh, relying uh, on some of his stuff today. But he says this, 
just kind of summarizing what happened in the early church. He says, the Roman world was full of plagues. Epidemics regularly decimated cities and regions. Though ancient people did not understand the germ theory of disease, they knew enough to flee cities if they had the means to do so. The first Christians who saw themselves as the household of God in their cities did not flee the plagues. They stayed and they served. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, sociologist Rodney Stark argues that this commitment to provide meaningful care to people stricken by the plague was all by itself a major contributor to the growth of the church in the first centuries of the common era. And he goes on to observe, so, so think about this, that you were, you were one of these people who went through the plague and afterwards, so think of this, after you had recovered from the plague, after all, where would you want to worship? The pagan temple whose priests and elite benefactors had fled at the first sign of trouble? Or the household of the neighbor who had brought you food and water, care, and concern? Then Crouch goes on to ask some pointed questions of the church in this moment. He asks this, when this plague is passed, in other words, coronavirus, what will our neighbor, neighbors remember of us? Will they remember that the Christians took immediate, decisive action to protect the vulnerable, even at great personal and organizational cost? And that's why we're live streaming right now. Will they remember that being prepared and free from panic, the households of their Christian neighbors were able to visit the needy while protecting them by keeping appropriate social distance, provide for their needs and, and bring hope? And friends, really, that is the question before us. How will our neighbors remember us in this moment? And may they remember us as people who didn't cower in fear, but stepped forward in the peace and hope and confidence of God. And uh, just as a pastoral team, we're thinking, we're praying, uh, we're dreaming, we're asking God, God, what is your call for us? What is the opportunity for, for us in this time? So that's something we're asking kind of as representatives of the leaders of this church. But I also invite everyone listening, everyone who calls this church, and would you be asking God what that call is also for you in your personal, your life, in your family, in your neighborhood? in your work. And uh, uh, in this time, of course, we're, we're really uh, mindful uh, of those in our community who are most vulnerable. So we're, we're thinking and praying and strategizing about crisis care that we can provide for those uh, who are most vulnerable in our community. Uh, another uh, thing in our toolkit um, in this, I think that is often overlooked is, 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 is prayer, specifically healing prayer. And so we're also praying, God, what can that look like in this time? And we're, we're praying about that and we'll keep you posted. But one just last kind of practical challenge for us in this is, is again, to be looking for the need around you. So for example, Ansley and I, we have a dear neighbor and she's in her 90s. She lives alone. So one of the things we're doing in this time is we're reaching out to her and we're just making sure she has groceries. We are uh, just going to be keeping a watchful eye to make sure if there are any health issues that she gets the care uh, that she needs. So can you think of someone in your neighborhood? Can you think of someone in your life who is vulnerable? Maybe it's someone experiencing homelessness. Uh, maybe it's someone elderly. Uh, maybe it's a friend with a weakened immune system. Uh, maybe it, it, it's a single parent or a medical professional who is just crazy overburdened right now. And the question is, how can we respond to those needs? What is like one practical thing that you could do this week to care for them, to serve them, to love them, to reach out to them? That is how we run toward the giant and not away. And really, I just want to kind of, as we wrap this up, the, the, the wonderful news about giants is that they all have vulnerabilities. <laughs> they all have vulnerabilities. Verse 49 says this, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it 
and struck the Philistine on the forehead, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. See, giants seem invincible, but all giants have vulnerabilities. So this coronavirus, I know it looks like a Goliath that can't fall, but you just have to know it will. It will, and, and as we press into prayer, as we, as we support and encourage our medical professionals, as we, as we reach out with care and love and compassion to those around us and do the wise things to prevent the spread of this virus, we will see this thing fall. And so I just, I just want to just summon us to prayer. Uh, one of the things that, and this is so important, and, and uh, as Marcia mentioned earlier, that, that, that our government leaders have, have called us to actually a day of prayer. When was the last time that happened? And so this is really something I want to invite us into as a people to pray and even fast if you're able to do that this day and to really pray that this virus would be, would be, would be pushed back, that God would bring healing to anyone who is sick and afflicted with this right now uh, and that God would equip and empower us as his people to be agents of his hope and love and compassion and healing in this time. And that even through this, that God would draw people to himself. And so that, that's just one of the invitations we have in this. But I just have to say this, that I think the greatest tragedy of all time would be if the people of God in this time simply took this as a staycation for two months to veg out on Netflix. That, that would be such a missed opportunity. So I, I, I plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ to seek his face in this time. And I realize that we're kind of a little bit, we're a couple weeks behind Italy in some of these things. So it might seem like, hey, What's the big deal? But you have to understand this is serious. And so we're being called to seek God for ourselves, but also how he can use us in this time. So I just invite you uh, into that. Um, uh, just about ready to wrap up. And um, I just want to give an opportunity, man, why don't you come back up? I just want to give an opportunity to respond for anyone listening online, anyone in the world who would like to respond. And you've, 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 you've heard what we've been talking about and, and you feel like I, I would love to know this Jesus who can conquer giants, who can conquer the fear in my heart, who can give me hope and a promise for a future. Uh, and, and so if you want to respond, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer, just as the band plays some instrumental. And if that's what's stirring in your heart right now, you can just pray these simple words. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. It can be as simple as that. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And those aren't all the words you'll want to pray, but that's just the start of a conversation. So if you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, you can say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Would you forgive me my sins? Holy Spirit, would you fill me? In Jesus' name. Amen.